Star Wars Legacy.html is brought to you by the fine folks at Cage Club. So for all things podcasts, movies, music, media, and more, head on over to cageclub.me or like, subscribe, and follow on all of your favorite social media and podcasting services. Legacy.html. Yay. So Clone Wars has been a unique experience. When we started the project, we said, you know, chronological order, not so much release order, which, okay, cool, cool, cool. I'm in. I'm in. I mean, obviously, it's my project. I'm in. It seemed like a good idea at the time. And we even looked ahead and saw how complicated it was going to become and said, sure, let's do it anyway. We're longtime, big time nerds, and we'll undertake a couple hundred episode TV show. So what's the big deal with this? I don't know, but there is something that is occasionally, like, sloggish about Clone Wars at this point. And in kind of a good news, bad news situation, we have finally come to the most Gordian-ish knot of episodes of the Star Wars Clone Wars run. Once we get through the next couple of arcs, it's pretty much straightforward. There's a few instances in season where some episodes are shifted around, but a lot of it is mostly straightforward straightforward runs except for here and here is where again i find myself just like unsure how i'd feel if i'd been watching this live with this sort of chunky clunky bang it up narrative i don't know exactly how this is all supposed to fall together and even the first episode has like every piece of plot it could have and the last episode has every other piece of plot it could have this was quite a gamut to be so out of order and i don't really know how it was presented exactly when it aired whether they made a big deal and presented it as look it's this thing revealing this thing about this other thing because this season specifically season three of the clone wars was labeled as secrets revealed big secrets revealed yeah and there were several episodes that aired with decoded versions which was basically from what i understand pop-up video versions of these episodes of clone wars that had little tidbits here and there that said behind the scenes stuff or story stuff. I can like imagine like classic sitcoms having these and they'd run kind of a gamut, right? And like Dick Van Dykes would be like, did you know in this scene, Mary couldn't hold it together when Dick tripped over the ottoman and then, you know, you'd have like, I love Lucy where it's like, Ethel had to do a shit ton of cocaine, just like a mountain of cocaine to get through this scene with all of her co-stars. I remember Sabrina the Teenage Witch actually did do a couple of pop-up video versions of their episodes, but I don't know whatever became of them after they originally aired on TGIF. But like, I would, I, I love shit like that, so I would love to try and find the decoded versions if we had. I mean, the Revenge Along. Yeah. There's a decoded pop-up video-esque version of a few episodes of season two of the ABC drama Revenge. Uh, we were very surprised to see that those are on Hulu. That's not something you normally see in streaming 
option like that. This season was Secrets Revealed, and it seems Secrets Revealed is more like we're going to retcon a bunch of shit into earlier seasons. I, I, I don't know. It's, it's some of the hardest part of this to follow for me so far, and I am most baffled right now by the placement of where we are starting in this episode. So we will be discussing from the Star Wars chronological viewing list entries 48 through 52, starting with entry number 48, season 3, episode 2, Arc Troopers, which serves as a sequel to an episode that we covered in HTML episode 87, which was the season 3 premiere. I actually liked a lot of this. Kind of like right off the bat, I was like, oh, this is the plot I like. And there's Grievous, Ventress, Obi-Wan, Anakin, Kamino, top to bottom. This is the Clone Wars that I come for. I really liked it. I liked this story. I think that our love of 99 is incredibly manufactured in a way that doesn't sit well with me. It's sort of using a disabled person in a narrative as a prop in a way that I don't think is pretty and if not disabled if you don't want to read that far at the bare minimum like it's like kind of humility charity fetishizing the less capable it's it's a tough one because like i did find myself super caring about 99 but it is a little bit gurgy kill himself and I think the thing that first and foremost is baffling me right now is the placement of this episode here in the chronological watch order. I don't understand why it needs to come after the Duchess Satine corruption assassination Zero the Hut is after Padme story. You know, contributor to the show Steven had some insight on how he felt about some of the placement of this stuff. He'd said he felt that some of it was sort of slightly superfluous creator specificity. You know, I sometimes think about how Tori Amos's debut album, Little Earthquakes, has been reorganized into a different track listing with a few bonus tracks, and I actually love what is now affectionately known as Extended Earthquakes, but like, nah, I'm sort of like, oh no, no, that's Extended Earthquakes, he's fine. Every now and then when I go to read The Dark Tower, and I'm like, the fuck, there's another fucking book in the middle! God damn it! Okay, you know, I find myself really frustrated. Here, it does seem like some of this is just because swang it. Yeah, it does sort of feel like because they were separating the first part of this two-part narrative and placing it well at the beginning of the series in the first place that they said, well, we can just move it wherever. But I I just, I think it adds to the confusion. I probably just would have left it in the order of episodes two and then four, then five, six, seven, then do all of the zero stuff. That being said, though, I really liked a lot of this episode. It's really fun to see more of the Domino Squad. It's weird to have gotten to know them in this order where we saw their basic training before we even watched the movie. So we didn't see that back to back with them being promoted to ARC Troopers. I loved the reference back to Heavy, but I kind of need a little bit more justice for Cut Up still to borrow from from a Fast Furious meme because like, yeah, Heavy sacrificed himself in a beautiful way in this season one episode, Rookies, where in production order, we were first introduced to these clone characters. But Cut Up got eaten by a giant snake thing and was his death even mentioned in this episode? And it was fucking horrifying. So yeah, justice for Cut Up. 
And I frequently find that in situations like this, they have to manufacture that sort of affection. But, you know, I think this episode had a couple of other things that kind of distracted me from the fact that I was supposed to be emotional. Number one, yeah, it had way too much plot at times. This episode had like seven times the plot of a normal episode. But beyond that, aqua droids. Okay, I love them, but they're silly. Number two, lightsabers and lasers work underwater. Yes, which was something that we discussed back when we were watching Clone Wars No The. Number three, I kind of love that we saw Obi-Wan struggle to hold his breath the whole time because Jedi need some not so good at stuff. And number four, I am at a point where I accept clone kids as readily as Jedi younglings. And you know, we've seen Boba Fett aged clone kids and we've seen Jango Fett aged clones. I would like to see more of an intermediary stage. I don't know exactly if there's like a jump, maybe. Who knows? I feel like a lot of the clone process is mysterious and I think it was very interesting to see how personal the clones are about it and about Kamino like referring to Kamino as their home planet. I was very taken aback by that. Something I've commented on a number of times on this show is that I have felt very much like I was expecting people to be paired off a little bit better and I've likened the whole thing to you think it's going to be Potter versus Malfoy, Dumbledore versus Voldemort but it has to obviously be Harry versus Voldemort ultimately and you know even though it's very clearly in that first movie kind of Obi-Wan versus Vader then you think it's going to be Luke versus Vader then it turns out it's going to be Luke versus the Emperor and something that was brought to our attention by friend of the series Taryn Inglima is that and everybody should check out Taryn's amazing art over on Instagram we'll throw in a link everybody should pay attention to the fact that Anakin never meets Grievous so having Grievous and Ventress in the same story allows us to have somebody challenge Anakin without having to blow the Grievous thing. The thing about it that I find really fascinating is it kind of plays into Ventress and Anakin having that battle at the end of Clone Wars. And you know, it's something that we just never even thought about or noticed, but it's based around a line from Episode 3 Revenge of the Sith where Grievous and Anakin meet for the first time. And it's something that the producers of the Clone Wars had to continually work with. And it really is a testament that we got through nearly 50 episodes without ever truly noticing no, they haven't met. We've seen Ahsoka come up against Grievous. And I think it's just that we for one thing probably forgot that line existed. Oops, you know. And so we just in the back of our minds kind of assumed Anakin would have dealt with Grievous like off screen or something. But we never even thought about or noticed the fact that things do keep coming up that keep the two from facing each other. And that leads to Grievous facing off with Obi-Wan in in a fight sequence I love. One of the things that finally made Grievous scary is when he's spinning those lightsabers, you know, the Jedi focus really well. You know, Jedi are sort of like sitting there really calmly while the bad guy is doing a bunch of stuff and the Jedi is then ultimately like, aha, I've been inscribing sigils and I've secretly drawn a sigil and it was a kill all the bad guys sigil. Haha. And I feel like that's sort of like a Jedi's thing, but you gotta get the bad guy monologuing, which is why Palpatine should have gone to Jedi school because he would have learned that Jedis do their best work while the bad guy is explaining everything. And Grievous is at his best when he isn't explaining anything. When he is just raw fury and 17 glow sticks coming at you like an LSD trip at a rave. I just think there's times where he is kind of menacing after 
all the shit I gave him for essentially looking like a Pixar octopus at a nightclub. I'm a little bit disappointed on the other hand, though, with the showing from Asajj Ventress in this episode. I don't think it was her best look. I think the scene where she kisses a clone soldier after skewering him with her lightsaber is needlessly sexualizing the character. It had been cut from airings on Cartoon Network, actually, and was ultimately restored for home video and streaming. I kind of wish it had been left cut. I think it's just weird and gross, and what would you say if it was a male Jedi doing that to a woman, or even doing it to a man? There's just, it, it's, it's just weird, and it's a weird level of characterization to add to one of the few powerful female villains we have in the Star Wars universe. And you know how there's impossible, which means it can't happen, and there's improbable, that means it probably won't happen. Problematic means something is like not okay on an offensive level because it hurts someone. But we need a term that means like problematic in a way that's like it stupid offends me. I'm like insulted because that's what Asajj like back front mega side flipping her way into Grievous's ship is. It's problematic. I don't know. I loved seeing Shakti. It was great. But the way Asajj got away made me want to bang my head against a rock. Math problematic? Math problematic. It's word problematic. I also, I don't know if it's been in previous episodes, but it struck me very strongly this episode that Asajj Ventress's theme sounds a lot like the Goa Old theme from Stargate. I thought you were singing your grand old flag. Patriotic chevrons locked. Arc Troopers was written by Cameron Lidback, who had written the preceding episode, Clone Cadets, and whose final episode, This Will Be For Us, by Cameron Lidback, and it was directed by Kyle Dunleavy. The next episode that aired was also covered by us in Husbands Talking More or Less, episode 87, Supply Lines, which was the episode that featured Jar Jar Binks and Bail Organa smuggling supplies to refugees on Ryloth, and for some reason needed to feature Jar Jar dancing on a table with silverware. The next episode we will be discussing, however, is Sphere of Influence, Season 3, Episode 4, written by Katie Lucas and Stephen Melching and directed by Kyle Dunleavy. This will also be our final episode, finally, for Stephen Melching. Oh, choochie fruit. Oh, choochie fruit. Don't fool around. Try to defend yourself in your court of law. Oh, choochie fruit. Yeah, it was really, really hard to take that first name seriously for a little while. This was another episode episode where I didn't really understand why it went here until I did my reading and discovered that this was initially meant to be a prequel to the season one episode that featured Pantora, which had also been written by Stephen Melching. I guess Stephen Melching really liked Pantera. Yeah, it seems like Secrets Revealed so far is more like, I wanted to do this weird prequel story that's set at a different time of the franchise. So we're going to turn it into a marketing ploy. Well, if you can turn your negative feedback into story, you, my friend, are killing it. That's a really fair point. Other names that I kind of couldn't handle were Chairman Papa 
Noida, and I'm going to continue to have a problem with Newt Gunray's name until he Newt Guns himself right now. Also, nothing against Seth Green, but he needs to work a little bit harder to disguise his voice because I was immediately like, oh, Ion sounds just like Seth Green, but there's no way that he would appear as a completely different character and sound exactly the same. Oh, yes, he did. I didn't think there was a lot in this episode that I really loved, like, standout, except I loved how I felt Ahsoka had been really smoothly elevated. I never questioned her station or position at this point, and I think it might be because they pushed her so aggressively early on that now where she's at, I don't question her level or authority. I think it's really smooth when she's the focus, but the thing is, as great as I think Ahsoka is at holding down an A-plot, these guys fucking suck at being a B-plot. I don't really understand when she became friends with Chuchi either. That's just... It's really random. I don't know when these characters have so much downtime off screen that they can be like making friends with other senators. I overall liked Chuchi as a character. Apparently she is voiced by veteran voice actor Jennifer Hale, who is also the voice of Ayla Sakura and Avatar Kiyoshi. Fun! The only other thing I think I have to say about this episode is I don't understand why Greedo has to be here in this and I don't understand why he suddenly speaks English. He's so Greedo-y for the spotlight. I I, oh my god, sorry. I'm just so sorry. Rodian eyes are really pretty, though. That's a thing. Like, they're all sparkly and stuff, like in the, the Clone Wars animation. I don't know. That's it. Guido Rodian eyes! Lord. <laughs> I have a lot more to say about and a bigger problem with both the initial episode of and pretty much the entire arc we are going to be discussing right here, starting with Season 3, Episode 8, Evil Plans, where there are engineered bookends about this long-put-off first season finale that we have been waiting to watch, and I just, I don't I don't know that I like anything about this arc. I like one thing a lot, and it's eep-a-doop-boop, droid spa! Yeah, okay, I really liked droid spa in this episode. It, it, it felt very um, anime-ish to me, but in a positive way. This episode, as well as the one that will come after the first season finale, was written by Steve Mitchell and Craig Van Sickle and directed by Clone Wars veteran Brian Kalen O'Connell. I just, from the very beginning, when they mentioned Senator Aang, I just, that has to be an Avatar The Last Airbender reps, right? Yeah, and you know, I think Avatar owes a lot to Star Wars. Like, a lot of important things and one of the things that made this work so well is the droids are so well defined and are such fully realized characters that you can almost get away with this episode but there's still some I don't know elements that I'm not in love with. They are treated like full characters but I'm not sure they're treated as in character. I think R2 being the one to fall for this distraction of the droid spa is a little backwards. Normally it's 3PO who is able to get more easily distracted by something like that I would think and then like there was this whole big thing made about it so I thought it was like a pretend droid spa but then it turned out to be real it just happened to by coincidence be right there and R2-D2 I guess has droid ADHD and is easily distracted and I, I did think the inclusion of Cad Bane kind of reminded me that the season that was supposed to be about bounty hunters had nothing to do with bounty hunters and that was a choice I also kind of like oh the droid spa is a uh, car wash and sewage 
sewage treatment plant. That's not a combo you do. And then 3PO gets kidnapped, and it makes me so sad, and he doesn't even get to go to the spa. I thought it was really interesting that a major element of this episode was trying to get information out of 3PO's head, and how that's going to be such a major factor of the storyline in episode 9. However, he says this line, I was once the protocol droid of the chief negotiator for the entire Manicron system, and like, when and how were you any of those things? You were on Tatooine for 10 years, and you've been off Tatooine, what, like a year and a half? It's one of those things that like a writer throws in to be funny, but like, especially at this point in his existence, Trippio's timeline is pretty tight. I hear you, and your pain, and your rage, but I need to say, more haunting than that was watching a droid, like, can we say, can we say dwarf carry? Like, is that a- I was gonna say baby carry, and you know but I- But like, I knew that was where you were going next, too. But like, baby is like, oh, a baby is helpless. This is like, this droid shouldn't be being carried. It's, it was upsetting. Like, an IG droid is carrying R2 like he's a garbage can, basically. And it's just, it's weird. The things that they're doing physically to R2-D2 in this animated series, from Emperor Palpatine riding him like a bull, to an IG droid carrying him around like he's a toddler, I it's, it's causing me some weird cognitive dissonance. I'm just glad we haven't seen him do the electric slide, but what we did see that I really did like is anytime Amidala is near Bail. That's pretty cool. There was too much droid torture here. Yeah, they definitely threw R2-D2 on his head. Overall, it was made uncomfortable by the droid portion of this storyline because it really raises the question to me of how do we know this hasn't happened dozens of times that the droids were kidnapped and had information stolen out of their heads and were returned and just have no idea. Like, this is specifically why it is standard protocol to wipe your droid's memory. And we just had a whole three-part story where Mace Windu didn't trust R2-D2 because Anakin doesn't do that. And he came around and saw that R2-D2 is, you know, a good droid. And now you gave us this episode that reveals that, oh, this episode that you saw, the first season finale where these bad guys had plans to the Senate building, it's because they stole them from R2-D2 and you had no idea. That's, I, 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 that's weird. That's really, that's, that's a huge thing to just throw in. And then they play it up for laughs at the end. Like, it's like, LOL! And that's almost unempowering of it. And then we follow Cad Bane somewhere, uh, rather unexpected to broker a deal with Jabba. We get real huddy. Like, like, Laura Hutton is so huddy. And so much Cad Bane you would think that he's trying to take down Gotham. We waited a really, really long time to watch the season finale of the first season because of this chronological viewing order. And I gotta say, I am incredibly dissatisfied by doing it this way. Season 1, episode 22, Hostage Crisis, was written by Johan Mahoney, which is finally his last episode for us, and directed by Giancarlo Volpe. Uh, I really liked a lot of this episode overall by itself, to be honest. One of the things I thought was interesting was that it made Cad Bane and Aura Singh's other appearances sort of less effective when a character first 
shows up. They're mysterious and fascinating. And, you know, compare Schoolhard era of Buffy Spike to end of series Spike. Sure, he's got a lot more layers, but some of those layers are kind of like silly haha funny. And this episode sort of unempowered Aura Singh because like she's so dynamic here and then a lot of her other appearances, she's kind of clunky. And I thought this was a great showing for Cad Bane, but it made me want more Cad Bane. Like I don't get enough of him now. I agree, and I feel a little bit cheated that we didn't get to see this introduction to Aura Singh and this further development of Cad Bane a little bit sooner. I also think pulling this episode out of airing order removes a lot of the Jedi lightsaber connection context that we really needed before the episode where Ahsoka loses her own lightsaber. It's really clever how there's another episode built around the idea of losing a lightsaber, sort of, kind of, and even if I'd seen this one before, the one with Ahsoka losing hers, I'd still like this more, though things I hated about this episode. Isn't our love more important to you? It is to me, you fridgy fudgy bag of balls. Here's my outside dick now. Stop acting like that, you silly woman. Like, there's just too much ridiculous about some of that. I mean, the verbatim line is, to me, there's nothing more important than the way I feel about you, which is a very interesting insight to Anakin's psyche. I also really appreciated Padme saying, wow, it's heavier than I thought. Wow handling Anakin's saber. And for this all to turn out to be release zero or all like kill ass kill people because I'm will afford bad. I don't know. This is not what I thought all of this was building toward this whole nope we gotta delay this episode forever. Like this is not the out of sequence payoff I expected. Something I was privately amused by that I don't know whether it was intentionally amusing was Palpatine being trapped with Senator Ornfrey Ta. I have to imagine he was just so annoyed that he couldn't simply use his force powers because that guy was standing there. And it's one of the many reasons that I wish we could see a little bit more of like Palpatine's private thoughts so we could see him be like, Fuck this guy! I just wish you would turn away so that I could force zap open this box it has my candy i also loved of course anakin pulling the laser hole in the wall trick through the floor so that they could escape their laser cell because that's just that's the jedi go-to move just cut a laser hole in it i also thought amidala was so smooth in how she gave him back the lightsaber lol i found it in the hallway and then her igniting it and having to cut his bonds was a really cute visual there are things about their relationship that i want to root for genuinely and not just just because they are Luke and Leia's parents, honestly, because they are so far removed from those children that whether or not I ship them is incidental to who their children grow up to be. But like, you know, I I want to root for the happiness that they were able to find in each other for this brief moment, but they just make it so damn hard sometimes. I think she makes it easier. She's like light and lovey and smart and fun without getting schmoopy. Something that's kind of fun is when Angel and Buffy are together, they're always kind of miserable so they're essentially still them but when logan and veronica are together they're schmoopy i don't feel like these two get schmoopy they're always kind of miserable and i think a lot has to do of course as always with matt lanter's performance as anakin skywalker being leaps and bounds above what hayden christensen gave in the films like i don't know if it was because of george's directing or what but i think that the clone wars breathes a lot more humanity into the character that isn't as plainly evident from 
from the films. I think Natalie Portman did a much better job with everything that she was given, though obviously she still struggled like many did in the prequel films. So it's not, you know, that I needed to see a transformation from Padme, but Anakin, I think, is a lot more human in this. I do think, however, for as much as Anakin comes to life here, you know who does not? Zero. Zero remains 1970s game show gong show reject trash. I just learned, I think, for the first time that the Truman Capote voice was a request specifically from George Lucas. He was going to speak hut ease at one point and have a little microphone thing that, like, translated his speech into English, but the production team decided that kids would find that confusing or something? No, I don't think they would have, but anyway, I guess the next logical step from that is foppy gangster. You know, there are things that I liked about the character of Zero the Hut. There are things that I hate about the character of Zero the Hut. This episode certainly didn't do anything to endear me to his story, and it kind of makes me glad that we're not gonna see him again. The final episode we will be covering is Season 3, Episode 9, Hunt for Zero, again written by Steve Mitchell and Craig Van Sickle, who will return in Season 4 for an episode that will be directed by this episode's director, Stuart Lee, who is a veteran of the Clone Wars series. And this episode finally saw the introduction of the Jedi character Quinlan Voss. This episode also basically needed a legend to explain some of the incredible layers of, like, hut politics. It's not that I begrudge Star Wars a multifaceted, multi-perspective take on uh, international political systems, but like I do feel sometimes like, okay, every batch of episodes we watch has like a 20-minute exposition episode that's just explain what's going on. Now, this one had quite a reveal. If we're saying that these episodes are secrets revealed, okay, the reveal at the end of this one's pretty significant, but at first I was sort of like, I am not interested in this episode. I really don't want to deal with more hut politics oh there's hut dancers and they have hut heads and i'm i'm in i'm in fan dance me a hut head Pretty much everything about this episode was quite clearly send-ups and throwbacks to the classic gangster films, whether it was one of the huts chomping down on what was clearly a laser cigar, hilarious, or, as you mentioned, the extensive musical number, which was meant to be a throwback to the Chicago nightclub scenes often seen in gangster films. I enjoyed the hell out of it. I maybe less love the fact that the singer is Cy Snoodles, who is in fact the same lady from Star Wars Episode 6 singing at Jabba's Palace. Um, Rice Noodles? Cy Snoodles. Kitten Caboodle? Cy Snoodles. Rice and Noodles? No way, that's not that one. Alfredo Noodles? I don't even like Alfredo. So what you're saying is this character's name is Dick Lips Long Face McSy Snoodle. She's another one, though, who like Greedo, who like Zero. I'm like, all of a sudden, this character just speaks English. They just didn't want to make kids read, I guess. So we get so many huts. We get Gardula. We get Mama Hut. Mama, 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 Mama Hut Million. Goodness gracious. Mama the Hut. I mean, Nal Hutta being basically the bayou in the first place was a lot to process and then Mama the Hut was not my favorite thing they have done in this franchise for sure 
But then, but then Psycho Killer Keskase just straight up Psycho Killer Keskase kills Zero the Hut. What a secret revealed that Psy Snoodles was a murderer, I guess. This singer you like, she shoots people. Like, I mean, like, I'm trying to, Jessica Simpson hit someone with her car. Like, I mean, what do you even say to that? But she did it a long time ago in a galaxy far, far away. I'm curious what led to the eventual inclusion of Quinlan Voss in this episode of all episodes. Now, Quinlan Voss is a character who was created back in the Star Wars Legends era and was based on and modeled after a background character from Star Wars Episode One: The Phantom Menace. The character was used so extensively that George Lucas caught wind of him and included him in the script for Revenge of the Sith on the planet Kashyyyk during the execution of Order 66, but the scene never made it past the animatic stage and was never filmed. The character is, however, still mentioned in the final film when Obi-Wan notifies Anakin that Master Voss has moved his troops to Boz Pity. Quinlan was originally slated to appear in the Clone Wars episode Bombad Jedi, where Jar Jar was pretending to be a Jedi and would have been working in the background using his abilities to make it look like Jar Jar was using the Force. But unfortunately, at the time, the studio didn't have the ability to create a new character model for him, and so he ended up here instead. We would have eventually seen the character again for an eight-episode arc written by Katie Lucas that was unfortunately never produced after the initial cancellation of the Clone Wars series and was instead adapted into a novel called Dark Disciple that came out in 2015. Yeah, but one of the things I've loved the most about your tour de force of investigation is learning why this show is so beloved to so many people. It seems like it's because they worked really hard to make this a really carefully crafted Where's Waldo with fandom in mind. Where whether you love Waldo or you love Waluigi or you love Walter the android, you're going to find them in this glorious who's who. You just got to look for them. And I feel like that's what I'm coming to find about. About the clone. If you liked that character or that character archetype, you can find them here. Sure, I still find some of the episodes kind of a drag, but on the whole, I feel like the show is improving, characters are improving, and I'm connecting more with who's there when they're there. I agree. I'm liking a lot of what we are finding from this, and I am looking forward to a more linear path going forward. In our next episode, we will first be covering two season three episodes that serve as a prequel to one from season two. But then from there on, it gets pretty straightforward. And I am very grateful for that. And until we return to the straightforward linear narrative of space. Big space! With even bigger secrets revealed! We actually do have some pretty big secrets coming up next episode. Well, until then, Kevo, where can everybody find you online? You can find me on Instagram and Twitter at Kevo Really, K-E-V-O-R-E-A-L-L-Y. And you can find me on the Facebook page for this program, Husbands Talking More or Less, at Real Nico Kevo action. You can also find the awesome superhero stories that we tell about Kid Riot and all of his friends in the Riot Squad over at KidRiotComics.com. Nico, where can the folks find you? You guys can find me all over this amazing network, Mondays and Thursdays on Extra Podcast, as well as Tuesdays here on this show. Don't forget to look me up over on Instagram over at Nico Action. That's N-I-C-O-A-T-I-O-N. And guys, remember, stay alert, stay aware, Black Lives Matter, and please be a part of the chain. And until we return, keep those kyber crystals lit. May the force be with you, and also with your force. Good.